Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. As you're being seated, I'm going to ask if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I want to... um, I want to establish a foundation for our lives. You know, we've uh, recently been talking about establishing a stronghold in your life of the Word of God so that faith is a stronghold for you, so that healing is a stronghold for you, so that, that you can take God's Word and you can establish right strongholds that will protect you. In the, in the opposite direction, we know that there were strongholds of, that the enemy, by bringing wrong words, had established in people's lives. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we can pull down those strongholds, strongholds of fear that the enemy has established in a person's life, strongholds of phobias, of strongholds of, of unbelief, strongholds of, of wrong addictions, different things that have been established as a fortification in a negative sense, that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to pull down those strongholds. So we know that those wrong strongholds are established by thoughts that are not, that are not brought into captivity. Those thoughts that are not uh, brought into captivity continue until they gain imagination status so that there's detail and video that plays in the mind. And then if it's still left unattended and unconfronted, it will then become something that takes control over that person and that person is under the the, um, influence of that stronghold. But God established for His Word to become so entrenched in our lives, such a renewing of the mind and a doing of the Word that the Word becomes a part of us, that we become built by the Word of God, that the Word that we are constantly feeding on in our spirits becomes what we're living out in our lives until we won't be deceived because we're so entrenched in truth. We're so fortified in truth. He wants His Word to be a fortification that protects us instead of the words of the enemy becoming a fortification that imprisons us. Amen? Amen. So God established His Word, and we've spent uh, a few different sessions together talking about building a stronghold of the Word. And when I... Uh, when I look at different strongholds, I think one of the, the most important for us to build is a stronghold of righteousness. And I encourage you to go to our YouTube channels. You can watch this again, get our podcast downloads You can uh, from the Little Rock as well because we're teaching in both campuses the same truths. So you can, you can listen to some of these uh, previous messages on a stronghold and get even more detail about how the Word of God 
establishes God's strongholds that become a protection and a fortification against the attack of the enemy for us. Today I want to talk specifically about establishing a stronghold of the blood of Jesus because it is by the knowledge of the blood and by the revelation of the blood of Jesus Christ and what it means and what it accomplishes that we become established in righteousness, that we know we are justified, that we are strong in how clean we have become because of the blood. Convinced that now that the blood has washed me, I'm clean. And a lot of times people deal with um, sin consciousness or they deal with the, the past uh, uh, mistakes of their life and, and become, become hindered by those past mistakes. And they become, they, they, it becomes a, something that they're continually falling over and having to see as like a, a stumbling block to them because they have never accurately applied the blood. And, you know, I wrote the book, The Guilt, the Shame, and the Blood. And in my first, in, in, in telling my testimony, I, I had come to a place of boldness and being able to talk about my past. But a few years later is when I wrote the book, The Guilt, the Shame, and the Blood, because I came through a teaching on the blood of Jesus to a realization of who I am in at a whole different level and a realization of how to walk in who I am in Christ. And it was because of the blood. And it was through that understanding of the blood of Jesus and how it purges the conscience that I was able to leave behind and never again stumble over the mistakes of my past and the, and the sins that I had committed before Christ. And I explain in that book, I knew that I was forgiven, but I was still guilty. I still had the shame. I knew I, knew I was forgiven of the guilt, but I still carried the shame of the guilt. And, and the guilt... I knew Jesus had dealt with it on the cross. I'd heard enough teaching about the cross and the fact that he became guilty for me on the cross that God was no longer holding my guilt against me, but I still felt the shame of all my guilt because the shame is that sense. That shame is the, is the part of the guilt that that operates against the mind and the will and the emotions and it operates to tell you that you're not worthy because you don't feel worthy and you're not worthy because you don't look worthy. And, And so that sense of shame, when I came to a certain situation where I really needed to be able to believe God, we were... Uh, we were told that I was losing a, our first child that after Pastor Steele and I, uh, it had been about a year into our marriage and I had become pregnant and they had told me I was losing the baby and Pastor Steele said, we're going to believe God and he reached out with his faith. But in my heart, shame stood up and I, 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 I liken it to this. It was like one of those movies that a spy movie where someone had been brainwashed and then they just go on with their life. And you never would have known they were brainwashed. And then one day the phone rings and they pick up the phone. And that, that word that triggered what they had been brainwashed to do 
that the person spoke that keyword and that person went just totally changed and went out and did something they would not normally do and it was like that it was like that the moment here is pastor steel standing to believe god for god to protect and preserve the baby in my womb and in me it was like that keyword of shame stood up and said This is happening because of all of your sin. And this is happening. You're getting the repercussion of all of your sin. And and it's being visited back on you. And here's pastor trying to stand, but I couldn't be in agreement with him because I lacked a sense of righteousness. I was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was saved. I was living right. I wasn't sinning. There was uh, everything in my life. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was living for God. I was, all of those things were right. But that sense of unrighteousness, that shame stood up and told me, this is happening because of your past. And I, I yielded to the shame. I yielded to that shame instead of, you know what? The Bible calls righteousness as a breastplate. And a breastplate will protect the organs or the life-giving, the life-sustaining part of that soldier. And I did not have my righteousness on because I yielded to that shame. And the righteousness which is of faith would reach out and say, the word is near me. Is that what Romans 10 says? The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Do not say in your heart, God needs to do this or come down from here. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. The word is near me, even in my mouth and in my heart. And if I had yielded to the righteousness, I did not know enough about the blood to purge my conscience from that shame. And instead, I yielded to the shame instead of yielding to righteousness, and we lost that baby. And when years later, when I'm taking this study from a a book that I was studying, Andrew Murray, The Blood of the Cross, I was reading through this study and, and learning about the blood of Jesus And I realized God took me back to that time because at the time we did not have enough light to know what had gone on. And I was really at a place. I had, you know, just been saved a little over a year. I was at a place where the enemy was trying to get me to backslide and give up on God because of that. But my husband said, Michelle, I can't explain why this happened, but I'm going to seek God and I'm going to find out. Because we had people who came to us and said, we don't know why the Lord just takes this and takes those babies. The Lord just wanted your baby and it just, we don't know why the Lord. And I'm, I, you know, that was, what, what do you mean the Lord? You mean the Lord didn't want me to have this baby? What? And, and, and my husband said, just don't pay attention to that. I'm going to seek God. And he came back a day later after he had been fasting and praying and seeking God. And he said, the Lord took me to John chapter 10, verse 10. And he told me, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he got down on his knees crying. And he said, he said the, the devil robbed from us. But I commit to you today, he won't rob from us again. Amen. A year later, when we were expecting Angela... To be born, the, um, uh, he began from the beginning of, of the time that we found out 
that we were expecting her, he began declaring the end from the beginning, declaring the word of God, speaking the word of God over her, calling her wealth, speaking to her in my womb and and telling her she was going to be strong. And the day that she was born and turned blue and the doctors took her to Children's Mercy Medical Center and said, we don't know what's wrong with her. We don't know if she's got a heart condition. We don't know uh, what, what what the problem is. Uh, and the, the minister came on at that moment on the television and said, our heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. And we took hands and we declared that and said, our heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. And uh, within seven days, within five days, the doctors at Children's Mercy said, this baby healed herself. We can't even explain. Well, so the enemy was trying to steal from us again, but he had, he had already recognized who was behind that. That wasn't God. And righteousness stood up and protected and prevailed. Amen? But you have to know that through the blood, through the light of the Word of God, concerning what the blood of Jesus has made you and provided to you, For you to be able to access and operate it, you've got to know it for revelation for yourself. You've got to have this revealed to you and it's got to become a strong, strongly entrenched truth in you. That nothing, no circumstance can rob rob it from you. No situation can take away from you the knowledge that you are the righteousness of God in Christ and that the blood has justified you and you are cleansed by that blood. You've got to become so strong in it. And the only way to become strong in it is is to hear it preached, to study on it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Amen? Hebrews 9. Let's begin in verse 1 and I'm going to read down through verse 8. Hebrews 9, 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the gold pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God." But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing." So we've seen a description of the Old Testament tabernacle, which is really a shadow of the tabernacle in heaven, of the worship in heaven. And in this picture that we have of the tabernacle of the wilderness, we see there were two compartments. We see there was the holy place and there was the most holy place. And in the holy place, there were certain actions of worship done, for instance, the table of showbread, the the censer, uh, the different things with uh, the outward 
And then there was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and carry the blood of the sacrifices that people had brought to wash or cover their sin for a year. They knew it was just for a year that this would work, but they wanted interaction with God, and this is what was provided by God's mercy for them to be able to interact with Him, that they could have this blood covering that would enable them to serve God and enable them to have God be God to them. And so they brought their sin offerings, and in that sin offering, it would all be collected in that outer court where that big brazen altar was, and all of those sin offerings on the top they would offer it and it would, it would gather together. It would drain into a huge basin at the bottom and then they would take all of that blood that had been mingled together and he would carry a portion of that representing all of the blood sacrifices that had been brought and he would take it and he would put it on the mercy seat. And that blood, God would see the blood and his mercy would be placed over the people because of that offering of blood. But he had no entrance without blood. He could not enter in. The, the, the high priest just couldn't go in when he wanted to and how he wanted to. He had to go in particularly in line with the word of God. And the word that God had given, he had to, be, he had to wash He had to wear certain high priestly clothes. He had to come in and he had to have the blood as he entered in. And so it says, not without blood. And then this is all. All that they did every year in these blood sacrifices was a symbol that the blood of the true Holy of Holies was not yet opened. That the entrance into the true Holy of Holies had not yet been established. The Holy Ghost, this signifying. This is what he is, every year it was saying, the way into the holiest of all is not yet made manifest. So that's what God was after. He was after getting the way into the holiest of all available. God didn't want the way into the holiest of all to be something that only the high priest could come under such regulation and such, such uh, difficult circumstances. He wanted the way into the holiest open for you and for you and for you and for you and for me. He wanted us all to have access and entrance into His presence. Hallelujah. That was His, his desire. Let's go back to Leviticus 17 because when Adam fell, blood became... The, the means by which God instituted interaction with him. In Leviticus 17, it makes an interesting statement, an important statement, in verse 11. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood or the life of the animal is in the blood or the life of the person is in the blood and I have given it to you. I've given you this blood of the animals. I've given it to you upon the altar. Why? This, so that you can put a life on the altar 
by sacrificing that innocent animal. You can put, that animal can represent you on the altar. I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. An atonement, that's a covering. To make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement. So now we know why God, God sacrificed animals to provide a covering in the Garden of Eden. Go back to Genesis 3.21. Because God was using blood. So we see the first reference. This is not a, a um, a direct speaking of it. But it is a referring to blood being shed in Genesis 3 and verse 21. It says, And unto Adam... Uh, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them. He made coats of skins. So that is, to do that, there was bloodshed. To to accomplish that, blood was shed. So we see this is the first biblical reference of blood being shed. And what was it for? Covering. Covering. Because the blood of animals only covered It did not cleanse, it only covered. The atonement was a covering, providing a spiritual covering through which they could serve God and God could be their God and it would be a legal covenant between God and that person through the blood of that animal. So God made coats of skin. Even after the fall, even after they had sinned and relinquished their right to the inheritance they had been given, they had been delegated the authority over the earth and they had submitted that to Satan. And Satan said in in his temptation of Jesus, all of these kingdoms have been given unto me. Well, God didn't give them. Adam gave them to Satan. Adam delegated that in his obeying Satan's words and disobeying the words of God. But God provided a a covering anyway. God still loved man and still loved Adam and Eve and still loved all of the people that were going to be born after Adam and Eve and did not want them to be totally lost. And out of his love, he put them out of the garden. He didn't put them out of the garden because he was mad at them. He didn't put them out of the garden because he was put out with them. Like, you you sinner thing, you, how dare you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, you just get on out of my garden then, if that's how you're going to act. No, he said, I've got to get them out of the garden or they could eat of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever like this. His love separated them from the tree of life because he did not want them eternally in a condition of spiritual death. If they would have eaten of the tree of life in a condition where they were spiritually dead, we would have all been lost. So God had to separate him from access to that tree and he put him out of the garden and he gave him a covering. He gave Adam a way for Adam and his family to continue serving God in a limited capacity until the Redeemer could come on the scene and redeem mankind. He still desired for man to have an approach to him, to have an entrance into his presence, so he gave him blood that would be a sacrifice of life that would cover him enough to serve God in this limited capacity and to interact with God. 
We know that God was speaking to them. Look with me at Genesis chapter 4. God kept talking to them. And we have that knowledge because of the way that God talks to Cain. We know it because of the way that God talked to Abel. And I want to first of all show you from Scripture how we know that Abel heard from God. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Well, it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 where that great hall of fame of faith is that in verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So if faith comes by hearing the word of God, Abel heard the word of God because he had faith to offer. So in Genesis chapter 4, let's read in verse 4. It says, Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering... He did not have respect. In verse 3 told us that Cain had brought the fruit of the ground. He did not have respect to Cain's offering of the fruit of the ground. Cain was mad about it and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, so if the Lord spoke to Cain, we can, we can assume that the Lord spoke to Abel because Abel had faith to offer the excellent sacrifice. So what we're seeing is that God told them what to bring. God clearly gave them that that clear communication of what they should do. He gave them a communication that they should bring blood. Why? Because blood was the entrance into His presence. It was the means by which they could approach God. And He's saying, you can't approach me with the fruit of the ground from your own labor. You've got to approach me with the innocent sacrifice of life. You've got to approach me. Why? Because they were guilty in their nature, and the blood was necessary to cover their guilt until a Redeemer could cleanse them from it. And so he could not bring God from the fruit of the ground, which was cursed. Why are you going to bring God something from the cursed place? He wanted something that would cover them so they could approach him. And so he said, the Lord said to Cain, why are you mad? And why do you have that look on your face? If you do well, or if you do what I said, if you would act on my word, if you would also do what your brother has done, if you do well, you will be accepted. In other words, if you'll just do the instruction I gave you, come by the blood, you'll be accepted. You'll be accepted when you come by the blood. You'll be accepted when you come by the blood. There's no other approach. The way into the holiest is the way that's by the blood. You can't enter into the holiest without blood. You can't enter into the presence or this relationship with God without the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is the only blood that cleanses, that goes beyond the covering and cleanses to make us new in our nature, to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus, new species of being that never existed before. It is a blood requirement to make that change. You can't come with doings and works of, of I've read this many scriptures and, and I've done this many good works and I've done... A, those things are going to be done because we're righteous and we're we're in God's kingdom and we, we want to serve Him. But they are not the approach. They are not the approach. The only approach is the blood. The only entrance to His presence is by the blood. 
So that's what he was teaching them from the beginning. And he taught this throughout the entire history of his interaction with the children of Israel. He continually, throughout the Old Testament and into the New, was using the blood of of animals, the blood of bulls and goats, as a way to signify this is the entrance into my presence. This is the entrance. The very first thing that Noah did was shed blood after he got off the ark. He made sacrifices. He took animals beyond the two-by-two animals. He took extra animals so that when he came off the ark, he would have animals specifically for honoring God and entering in through this covenant. And so after the flood, the earth was baptized in a blood sacrifice. Of those animals. He came off the ark and he offered to God of, of blood. It tells us in his covenant with Abraham about the, the blood. We see the ram caught in the thicket as a representation. He went up to sacrifice his son because as a covenant partner with God, God needed legal right to give his son and to sacrifice his son. And so Abraham, being God's covenant partner, willingly offered his. But God didn't need his son's blood. He did not need Isaac's blood to be shed. So he offered Abraham a ram caught in a thicket. Amen. He said, stop, you can, that's enough. I just needed you to be willing to do it so that I can have legal right to do it. And now you can take that ram in the thicket and you can sacrifice the blood of the ram. Hallelujah. Which was uh, that representation of Jesus. We see uh, that God continues throughout uh, when he is dealing with the Israelites who are about to exit from Egypt. He says, put the blood over your door. Put the blood over the entrance to your houses, over the windows. Because when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And so that protection and that covenant by the blood. He brings them out into the wilderness and on Mount Moriah. He, 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 uh, he, on Sinai, he, he brought the people up and he sprinkled blood as, as Moses read from the book. And he sprinkled blood on the book. He sprinkled blood on the instruments of worship. And he sprinkled blood on the people. And God said, build me a tabernacle. Because with that sprinkling of blood, God was able to come closer to them. And he said, I want to dwell among you. And so they prepared a tabernacle so that God could dwell among them. And in that tabernacle, it was an entrance of blood that we just read about. That, so that they brought that blood for the holy place and entered through this 1,500 years. They sacrificed and had their interaction with God through this measure. And so even until the day of Jesus, we know that when Jesus was crucified in the temple, the high priest was going through all the sacrifice of the yearly lambs that were being sacrificed. And at the end of the day, when the temple, uh, the veil was rent in the temple from top to bottom, signifying that it was God's power that tore it from top to bottom, he was tearing apart and saying, it's no longer necessary for it to be done that way because now what Jesus has poured out on the cross is the acceptable blood of God. Amen? Amen. But in that, when they stood at the river Jordan and John the Baptist made the declaration, Behold the Lamb of God, those people 
knew what it meant to say the Lamb of God. They knew what it meant if someone pointed out a lamb because they had been practicing for 1,500 years. Every year the father of the family would choose the lamb for the house. And they would sacrifice that lamb. And so when he said, the father has chosen a lamb for the house and Jesus is that lamb. Behold the lamb of the father. The lamb the father has chosen who taketh away. Now that was a new concept because they had never seen sin taken away. They had practiced sin being covered for 1,500 years. But now you're telling me that there is a blood that's going to be made available, that the Father Himself has chosen a lamb, and when that lamb sheds His blood, it's not just going to cover my sin, so I'm going to need a new lamb next year, but this lamb is going to remove that sin and take it far from me. You mean that lamb is going to complete the plan that God had and bring an opening into the holiest of holies and so that I can enter into the presence of God to obtain help in time of need. You mean to tell me a blood that can take away my sin? It was a new concept. It was a new concept. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But that's the plan that God had from the beginning. That's what God desired from the beginning. Let's go ahead and back over to Exodus 12 and let's look at the, the, the representation of Jesus' blood in the blood of the Lamb of the Passover because today is the day that we will be honoring the Lord's Supper and receiving of His shed blood and His broken body. Amen. Exodus chapter 12 beginning in verse 13 says, The blood shall be to you for a token Upon the houses. Remember God said I've given you the blood on the altar. The blood will be as a token upon the houses. So the application of the blood. The blood being present in the lives of those people spoke. Do you know it says that the blood of Abel spoke? The Bible says the blood of Abel cried out from the ground. God God said your, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. But then it tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel spoke. So the blood has a spiritual voice to say something for you. It can testify for you. Testify of your righteousness. Hallelujah. The blood spoke something for Abel. It was revenge. The blood was crying out, avenge me. I am innocent blood. I did nothing wrong. Avenge me. But the blood of Jesus doesn't cry out, avenge me. The blood of Jesus is also innocent blood, but it cries out, have mercy. 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 It speaks better things than the blood of Abel spoke. The blood of Jesus speaks mercy for God to have mercy upon us and to cleanse us of our blood. So it says the blood on their houses would be a token It would be something that is spiritually seen. It is something that has spiritual significance. Amen? And he said, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. So the blood is a salvation from the judgment. A blood is a a protection from the judgment. That's why our hope is in the blood. Because of His blood, I'm not going to have to account 
for the sins I committed before Christ. And if I commit a sin after I've entered into relationship with Him, I want to go and I want to, com- I want to confess that sin to Him. And He is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from any unrighteousness that has been brought into my life because of that sin. He's faithful and just to cleanse me from unrighteousness. So the blood still works. It's not just a one-time application. The blood is consistently at work in the body. The blood is in your body right now. Your blood is at work. It's carrying things to the organs of your body. It's carrying uh, oxygen from your lungs out to all of the different cells of your body. It's carrying uh, the, what, you're, what you digested from your breakfast this morning. All of the nutrition of that. The blood is carrying it out. And the blood of Jesus is at work in His body today as well. Cleansing and bringing health and nutrition and wholeness to His people. It says in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 37. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. Exodus 29, 37. He gave them instruction. He said, seven days you will make an atonement for the altar. Now he's preparing them for the altar of, that they will be using in the tabernacle of the wilderness. So this altar, they, they couldn't just build it and start putting sacrifices on it, they had to make it holy first. They had to prepare it first for the work. They had to set it aside, sanctify it. He said seven days you'll make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it. So the altar had to be sanctified. How? He said it will be an altar most holy. How are they supposed to sanctify it? With the blood on the altar. He had given them instruction in verse 36. You'll offer uh, every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement and you'll cleanse the altar. When you have made an atonement for it, you will anoint it to sanctify it. So they seven days they had to put a, a blood sacrifice on that altar just to make that altar a set-apart altar. To make that altar different than the altars that were built to Baal. To make that altar different than the altars that were being used to the false gods. It's not a Dagon altar. This is a God altar. This is not a Baal offer. This is God's altar. This is where we offer holy sacrifices to a holy God. So they had to set apart the altar with a blood sacrifice. Hallelujah. And so they, they did so. And then because of that... It said whatever touches the altar after that altar has been made holy, it's going to be made most holy by this blood and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. So the sacrifices that were brought after that altar had been sanctified, when that sacrifice touched the altar, it became a holy sacrifice, a set-apart, sanctified offering to the Lord. So what made it holy from the barn to the altar? It was when it touched the altar. It wasn't holy till it touched the altar. But when it touched the altar, because the altar had been made holy, then that sacrifice became holy. Amen. Hallelujah. Why is that important for you and I? We'll turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10 says, We have an altar. We have an altar. You have an altar that is a a set-apart, sanctified altar because when Jesus poured His blood on that wooden cross, there were a lot of crosses upon which men died. 
There were crosses on either side of him, but they weren't holy altars. What made the altar of the cross of Jesus Christ holy was the blood of Jesus that came and poured out upon that altar. And then whatever touches the altar, you know, I've been on the cross. Did you know I was crucified with Christ? I was. I've been on the cross. God lifted me up out of time in, two, in, in, in August 10th of 1992 when I bent my, my life and yielded it to the Lord Jesus Christ and received Him as my sacrifice. God picked me up out of 1992 and took me back 1992 years previous when Jesus was hanging on the cross and God crucified me on the cross with Him. Because he did it for me. Did he do it for you too? Did he die on that cross? Then you've been on the cross. You were crucified together with Christ. You've touched the altar. And when when your life touched the altar of the cross by your faith, you were made holy. You were made. Whatever touches the altar shall be made holy. When did you touch the altar? The day you were crucified with Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.20, if you want scripture, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. In the mind of God, I was there. My life was sacrificed on that cross. I have touched his altar with my faith. And because of that, My life is now holy, and I want to live it holy. And I want to honor him with holy thoughts. And I want to honor him with holy actions. And I want the thoughts and the intents of my heart to bring him glory because I I want them to be holy and sanctified and set apart for his use. Amen? So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1 is another reference to our being sanctified and redeemed and purchased. Glory to God. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed... Now, this is something we need to know. This has to become... A, a stalwart, a stalwart, a, and, and a, a truth that is so strongly embedded in the bedrock of our believing that we know we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain behavior. Conversation is a word that is translated behavior from our vain behavior received by tradition from our fathers, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And the word precious means costly and highly honored. Costly. It cost him his life. It cost him his innocent, never having sinned life. This costly, highly honored blood is what was the price required 
to redeem or to purchase you and I out of the life before Christ. I want to go back. Many of you may, this may be a rehearsal for you, but we all need the rehearsal. What does the word redeemed mean? What does the word redeemed mean? In this specific, specific use here in 1 Peter, it is the word that means deliverance from slavery by purchase. Deliverance from slavery by purchase. There are four different words used. I believe it's four different words used for the word redemption, and this is one of them. And it, it gives specific reference to the slave market and how they would go buy slaves off the slave market in Jerusalem, how they would purchase that slave. That's the, the price. So it's, it's saying that Jesus took his blood to the slave market of sin and purchased you off the auction block. Amen. And he wasn't, he wasn't given a deal and a, a, he wasn't given like a, 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 a negotiated deal if he bought a, a bargain here, if he would just go ahead and buy everybody. No, if you want to buy everybody, you're going to have to pay top dollar. There was no negotiation lowering the price, lowering the value, uh, bringing it down to so he got a, 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 you know, a bargain deal. He paid top price. He said, no, I'll pay the top dollar. I'll pay top price of what you're asking for them. What is required to purchase them off the auction block? And if you've never read Hosea, I encourage you to read the book of Hosea because Hosea is a description of this redemption. Hosea was a prophet, a man of God, who God instructed him to go take a wife of the harlots. So he, he made a prostitute his wife at the instruction of God. And he, she kept returning to her ways. And she, he would come home and she would be gone and she'd stay gone for a couple of days and, 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 and then come straggling in and, and come in bearing children from different people. And, and there were different names that he gave these names and it was a representation of how the nation of Israel, the people of God, were going back to their old ways and, and how Hosea was was living with this situation was a demonstration of how the people were treating God in the nation. And at one point, she went out living her old ways, following her old lifestyle, and didn't come home. And Hosea finally went looking for her. He finally went searching for her. And when Hosea finally found her, do you know where he found her? They had already placed her on the auction block and they were bidding for her and they required Hosea to purchase the woman he was married to. They were bidding for her and he got into that bidding and he outbid every other bidder who wanted to be able to purchase her and he finally purchased her off that auction block and brought her back home and she said something to him. She said, I will call you master. And he said, I didn't purchase you for you to call me master. I purchased you to call me husband. I'm not your master. I'm your husband. I love you. I'm here for you. I want what's best for you. I didn't purchase you to bring you back into a slavery. I purchased you to set you free. 
Oh my goodness, that's the description of what Jesus did. He didn't purchase us to put us under all kinds of rules and regulations and don't do this and don't do that and you'll never enjoy it. No, He purchased you to set you free from sin so that you are no longer subject to sin, so that sin no longer has dominion over you. He redeemed you from the blood, through the blood. He redeemed you. He purchased you from that slavery of sin so that you no longer have to serve sin. You no longer have to do what sin tempts you to do. You no longer have to do what sin, sin, sin tries to compel you to do. But you're free to serve God. And free to live the good life that God has prearranged and made ready for you. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light... We have fellowship one with another. And while we're walking in the light with Him, fellowshipping with the others who have been also redeemed and are walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light has a continual application of blood in it. As I walk in the light that blood is able to speak for me and that blood is able to operate in my life. And walking in the light is a communing with the blood of Jesus. As I walk in the light, His blood is cleansing me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Thank you, Lord. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Whenever we see worship in heaven, it is centrally around the shed blood and what that shed blood has accomplished in us. That worship in heaven is about what he made us by his blood how He changed our lives by His blood, how His blood has opened the will of God for us, how His blood has made us kings and priests. And that's what verse 6 says. He's washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings. Kings have dominion. The dominion we have is ultimately because of Jesus sacrificing His blood. I have authority in Jesus' name because I'm washed in the blood. I have authority in Jesus' name because He has cleansed me by His blood and made me new and placed me in the family. And because of that blood, I have authority over sin, sickness, disease, the devil, the curse. He has made me a king and a priest. By this blood. I'm made a priest. Why? Because I can now walk that way into the holiest. It was for the priest. And you've been made a priest. You have access to the holiest of God. To enter into His presence. And how did we become kings and priests? It was because He washed us from our sins in His own blood. So the question might be asked, what makes the blood of Jesus so powerful? And I know if we've been in the church any length of time, we would say, well, because it was sinless blood, and that's true. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. 
it was sinless blood? I have three answers for you. If you ever get asked that question, what makes the blood of Jesus so powerful? Number one, it was sinless blood. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hallelujah. He was tempted in all points. Tempted in every way. Tempted on every level. Tempted with everything a man could be tempted with. And he did it without sinning. He overcame the temptation so that when he went to the cross, his blood was different than the blood of every other man on the planet. Every other man on the planet had a bloodline that, uh, that originated from Adam. But Jesus did not. Jesus' bloodline did not, did not have the DNA of Adam as a father. His blood had God's DNA. Because he was born of a virgin. If you want to test who is the father of a child, you do a DNA test of the blood. And you can prove. Whether they deny it or not, you can prove the DNA doesn't lie. Who is the Father? Who is the Father? The DNA will tell us who the Father is. And the DNA of Jesus' blood does not point back to Adam or any person born after Adam. But he legally entered into a body and was born into this earth legally as a man. He has a man's body. He has a human body. He had to, to be a legal redeemer. For him to go to the cross and shed his blood, he had to legally enter a man's body and become a man. If he did not, it was illegal. And that's what the demons kept saying every time they would encounter Jesus. They would say, we know you. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Have you come to torment us before the time? One demon, the demon that is referred to as being the legion of demons, he said, I adjure you by God that you torment me not. He's, he's bringing God to try to call Jesus down. I adjure you by God. He's saying you don't have legal right to be in that body. But Jesus knew he did have legal right to be in the body, and he said, shut up and come out. Why, I'm legally in this body. I was born. I'm the good shepherd. I came into the planet legally through the birth of the womb. I, that's the legal door into the earth. To be born into the earth is the legal entry into the earth. He said, I was born onto this people planet. And that's why the genealogy is in Matthew chapter 1. It's not there just to fill up pages. It's there so that you can know Jesus was legally born into the human race. And it says it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. It, it was something he embraced. He said, I'll become a man. I'll become a man. I, I, I am the second person of the Godhead. I am God the Word. I am God the Son. But I will gladly become the brother to this human race to redeem them. And to pay the necessary price to bring them back into the fellowship and into the family. And he did it sinless. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Name of Satan. Take heed therefore... 
unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. It was God's DNA in Jesus' blood. If you did a blood test on the blood that's on the mercy seat today in heaven, you'll find out that the DNA is God's. It says here in this scripture, God purchased the church with His own blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jesus' blood was sinless. Jesus' blood had the Father's DNA. Hallelujah. And John chapter 1 verse 29, Jesus is the Lamb that God provided. John 1, 29, I referred to it earlier, but let's put our eyes on it. John the Baptist makes this declaration. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Just like in the book of Exodus, they were required, each father, to provide a lamb for his house. God the Father has provided a lamb for his house. And through the blood of that lamb, I want you to see that verbiage because I don't want you to, to think that's just something that is a story. Exodus 29. I'm sorry. Not 29. 12. Exodus chapter 12. Hallelujah. Forgive me. I said 29 because it was on my mind. We've already been to 29. Exodus 12. Verse 1, the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So the father was required to go out and to obtain the lamb. If they did not have one, he had to go obtain a lamb for the house, a lamb for the house. Every man take to them a lamb according to their house, their household. If the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him in the house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. It just switched from a lamb to the lamb. Now it has become a personal lamb. Every man get a lamb, but when that lamb is obtained, now it's the lamb. And verse 5, it's just come more personal, your lamb. Not a lamb, not the lamb, now your lamb shall be without blemish. Now this is your lamb. So when John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God, he's saying this is your lamb. This is your lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. They were given instruction about how to prepare the lamb, how to partake of the lamb, uh, what they needed to be prepared for when they were eating the lamb, that they were to receive all of the lamb, not to leave any of it left behind. 
and then to take the blood of the lamb and to put over the doorpost of the house. And, and when they did all of these things, the supernatural power of the lamb began to work in their life. These were people who had been living for all of their lives. This generation of people had lived all of their lives under Egyptian slavery. Generations after generations under the slavery in Egypt. It tells us how bad it was. It had become so bad that they were crying out and God sent Moses to deliver them. God raised up and brought Moses on the scene to deliver them because it was so bad. So that gives us an idea what their physical health would have been like, doesn't it? They didn't have health care. As a matter of fact, they, they, they were uh, under an a order that if they were encountered to have a baby boy, they could take that baby boy and the Egyptians could throw it in the river and kill all the baby boys. They had, a, it was, it was, they were not being taken care of. But it says that when they came out of Egypt, there was not one feeble among them. It says when that word feeble, it means not one stumbling and not one halt. Amen. How did God do that? How did God bring them out well? And they came out wealthy and well. They came out with the entire wealth of Egypt. Because the night before, God gave them favor. And everything they asked of the Egyptians, the Egyptians said, Sure, you can have my best china. Sure, you can have my gold robes. Sure, you can have my, my jewelry and my, my heirlooms. Sure, you can have it. Because God's favor. So God favored them and God healed them. And that, that restoration came as they ate of the lamb. And Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you so that you would be whole. Gentlemen, if you'll come and distribute the elements. I like 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because in this teaching, the Apostle Paul brings out some things about the Lord's Supper that um, gives us a clarity Thank you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to look at verse 30. He's pointing out, now 1 Corinthians is corrective. He's, he's bringing loving correction to some areas that they are missing in the church at Corinth. And we get to learn from their correction he said in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Which he's talking about they're dying an early death. He said, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. What cause? What was causing the people in the church, the people in the body of Christ who'd been redeemed and... and, and uh, purchased by the blood of Jesus, what was causing them? He said, for this cause. And the phrase right before it says, they were not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. The Weiss translation says, not properly evaluating the body. 
not properly evaluating the body. Another translation says, without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. I think that's the Amplified Bible. Not recognizing with due appreciation that this is Christ's body. This is not a religious tradition we're about to receive. We're not doing this out of tradition. We're doing this out of honor. We're not doing this as a regulation. We are receiving what Christ in His sacrifice has made ours. And when He said, take, eat, this is my body, He's saying, take and receive why my body was broken. And how do we receive it? How was I crucified with Christ? By faith that He did that for me. My faith put me on the cross with Him and I've touched the altar and I've been made holy through that faith. And through my faith, I am receiving healing in my body today. Amen. Through my faith in what, this, what He did for me in being broken. Not just the stripes upon His back, but definitely including those stripes upon His back. But He became sin. He became a curse. Every disease is under the curse. I don't have to allow disease to have its operation in this body. I bring this body into serving the Lord, into the work of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a redeemed body. When He redeemed me, He didn't just redeem my spirit. He didn't just redeem my soul. He redeemed my body. My body is bought with a price. I am not my own. I am not my own. And so because it's bought, I can resist sickness. Because it's purchased and the price has been paid and the stripes that He took on His back have have paid the necessary price for my nothing missing, nothing broken, I can receive it today. I'm going to recognize with due appreciation what I'm about to receive. And it's not this cracker, but this cracker is the point of contact. Just like when, I'm, it, when, when I was baptized, it says that I was buried into... I was, I was uh, placed into the tomb with Jesus. Buried into His death with Him. Well, I've never geographically been to the tomb of Jesus. They don't even know which one it is. They have an idea or they have a, a, a representation. But they're, they're, I've been there. Not geographically, but I've been there. My faith put me in the tomb with Jesus. When I went under the water and I came up, I came up in the resurrection. Amen. Amen. I've been not only buried in the tomb, I've been resurrected out of the tomb. How did I do that? I put faith in what was happening when I was baptized. And if the enemy ever tries to come to me and say, were you really saved? Hey, listen, buddy, I've got all kinds of testimony. I've got the testimony of the blood of the cross. I've got the testimony of the water. The water will speak for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that is a point of contact. This is our contact today. What his broken body purchased, he wants you to receive it this morning and be made whole. 
What His shed blood accomplished. He wants you to receive it. He wants you to receive every covenant right that belongs to you. He does not want you to leave any covenant right and say, well, I'm not worthy of that one. He wants you to say, I'm a son. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of the throne of God. I'm seated with Jesus in heavenly places in Christ. I am above and not beneath. I am always going over, never going under. I have authority in Jesus' name. He wants all of that because of His shed blood. This is covenant. This is provision. This is restoration. This is establishing. Hallelujah. And so that's what we're going to receive today. I'm going to ask if you would please stand to your feet. Go ahead and pull that first tab and let's receive the broken body of our Savior. 1 Corinthians 11:24 when he Jesus had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me Father we come today honoring the broken body of our master our savior our redeemer the Lord Jesus Christ the stripes that you took on your back, the wound that those stripes, one huge wound that you became, the curse that you accepted to make us recipients of the blessing, we receive it today as we receive this broken body. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. You may receive Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that I am whole by the brokenness of my Savior. I am restored. Restored. I am restored in every bone, in every joint, in every organ. I am restored by your broken body. I receive your health as I receive the body of the Lamb. I receive everything that the Lamb provides for me. I take my Lamb and I eat of my Lamb today. I eat of my sacrificial Lamb and I receive every benefit with gratitude and humility, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. After the same manner also, He took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Father, we bring our faith to all that this blood connects us to. Our inheritance in Christ. Our authority as kings. Our approach to you as priests. Father, our victory in Christ. Father, all that is ours as a result of this shed blood, let it be received in our life and operated and brought into manifestation. Every victory, every placing in position of authority, we receive it, Father. And we submit to our responsibility of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, you may receive.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how your blood has washed us. Thank you, Lord, for how your blood has opened a new and a living way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated for just one moment longer. Look at me right at 12.05. We want you to come back tonight. and We're recognizing and respecting your time. I want to end with Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. We saw from our beginning text that the Holy Spirit was signifying under the old covenant that the way into the holiest was not yet open, but now we've just been invited. It says, now we have boldness to enter into the holiest. How? What's the entrance into the holiest? By the blood of Jesus. We have boldness to enter. Confidence is what that word is talking about. A confidence to enter. Why? Because the blood has opened the way. It says, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated or made new for us. Through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, 2,021 years ago. You know, we record our years. It is 2021 AD, which means after the death of Christ. Before that, time was, is recorded as BC, before Christ. So the mark of what shifted on this planet is his shed blood. 2,021 years ago, there was no way into the holiest. It was closed. But when Jesus shed his blood and died on the cross, the new and living way was open for us. Amen. And 20, 2,021 years ago, the new and the living way opened. And today you have access to walk into the presence of God on that path Hallelujah. that begins with faith in the blood. Amen. Amen. And on that path, you can, you can enter into His presence to obtain help in time of need. Amen. To the throne of grace. You can now reach the throne of grace. Not just the throne of mercy, the throne of grace where you have favor with God. Not just mercy with God. Not just the mercy seat, but favor. Where God says, hey, I'm on your side. Amen. I'm for you. I got your back. You. I want good for you. I'll favor you. I'll help you. I'll do that for you. He said that's the, that's the access we have by the